What's going on, traders? How we doing? Welcome back to the one, the only, the SPACs attack. Yes, I got Chris in the background waiting. The Chrisopedia is here. We've been seeing some SPACs run right now. The Rover, the Rover, the dogs are barking out there. And Bark, Bark, earnings, earnings coming soon. Definitely, guys, smash the like. Let's get this show started. And welcome to the SPACs attack. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What's going on, traders? Welcome to the SPACs attack. It seems like the real loyal fans are here because we're starting off with a little bit of lower number, but that ain't going to stop us today. Watch, it's going to get pumped up. But for you guys that are here right now, thumbs up, dude. I appreciate you guys. I don't even have to give you guys... Give me the thumbs up. Let's go ahead. Let's bring on my man, Chris Ketchy. What's going on, dude? What's going on, Mechia? How we doing? It's Wednesday. Hard to believe we're already over halfway through this week. Um, but yeah, exciting day. We've got an interview. We've got some news to talk about. And we do have some SPACs moving. Like you said, we've, we've got Rover moving. We've the also... Rove. We've also got some uh, sympathy plays to, to Robin Hood that we can uh, dive into on that watch list as well. That we definitely can. Like always, guys, we're going to get into our headlines like we do. We got a good interview coming on up. So, like always, stick around towards that. Uh, we're going to get into the watch list, see what's moving out there. And like always, guys, subscribe, guys, if you haven't done it before. Come on. Let's go ahead. Let's get this party started. Let's get into some headlines, Chris, where we tell everybody what's going on in the SPAC industry today. Let's go ahead and find out. All right, guys. Yeah, up first, we've got a couple analyst notes out. So we have ticker F-R-E-Y, Fryer Battery, uh, shares up Morgan Stanley initiating coverage on the stock with an overweight rating and an $18 price target. Um, so again, F-R-E-Y, keep an eye on this one. Uh, we have several battery plays in the SPAC space, the shares are up 11% today, but still trading under $10. Um, so a nice uh, note there from Morgan Stanley. Then on the flip side, we have Microvast MVST getting a $6 price target from Morgan Stanley. Um, analyst Adam Jonas, uh, you know, notable that Jonas was also the analyst that gave a $10 price target to Tesla way back in 2019, um, out with a pretty bearish note on Microvast. And also Jonas gave a $70 price target to QuantumScape not too long ago. So a very differentiating point on the battery companies here. Um, you know, I am long Microvast still, but shares are moving down on that note. We got earnings last night from Skills, SKLZ, former SPAC here company reporting uh, their 22nd consecutive quarter of growth. So remember, we saw a lot of companies during the pandemic see a decline in revenue, but that wasn't the case with skills that they kept going. And now 22 consecutive quarters of growth, uh, revenue of $89.5 million in the second quarter, up 52%. They uh, completed the acquisition of Arky and also announced an investment in Exit Games. 
They're also launching their partnership with the NFL with a developer challenge to identify new NFL mobile games. This was something I talked about the other day that I was hoping we would get more color on. They also launched Big Buck Hunter Marksman, um, which is a mobile version of the arcade game. Uh, so that is in its testing right now. So that could be a exciting mobile game from Skills. They updated their guidance now, $375 million to $376 million for the full fiscal year. And with that new acquisition, they could reach $389 million, uh, they, they said, in that update. We have desktop metal shares trading higher today. Uh, news out today that the company qualifies titanium for manufacturing with the Studio System 2 which is a 3D printing platform, the easiest way to print high-performance metal parts in low volumes for pre-production and end-use applications. Uh, with plans to begin shipping the TI-64 next month, Desktop Metal will be the first and only company to make the material commercially available. Um, so that's an exciting note here from Desktop Metal. Re remember, this was one I highlighted where, you know, they can, uh, you know, print wood, dental products, steel, and, and now titanium. So exciting things ahead for Desktop Metal. We will get earnings from that company here very soon as well. And as I said, we had some hood sympathy plays this morning. So shares of Robinhood spiked higher, um, you know, priced their IPO at $38, was valued at $32 billion dollars. Shares hit a high of $85 today, went through several halts. So as a result, we saw a couple, uh, you know, retail trading companies related to Robinhood actually trade higher. So these were ones that we mentioned last week on the show ahead of the Robinhood IPO. So we have eToro, which is merging with FTCV. So that merger of uh, eToro valued the company at $10.4 billion dollars eToro had over 20 million registered users compared to Robinhood's 31 million. So FTCV shares, you know, one worth watching here on the strength of the Robinhood IPO. And then also SoFi, S-O-F-I, shares were trading higher as well. Now, SoFi is a personal finance company, uh, offers personal loans, student loans, home loans, and refinancing but they also offer stock trading, and that's been one of their heavily promoted items. Um, I know I've seen some TV commercials, social media mentions. They also had an ad with Dude Perfect on YouTube. So SoFi was valued at $8.65 billion at the time of its SPAC merger, with 3 million customers expected in 2021. Um, so that's you know another name to watch here. SoFi shares were up. 6% at last mention, looks like they're up about 8% now and going higher. I do own shares of SOFI. Then our rumor we got last night, we have SBII in talks with Hydro. This is a potential Peloton rival, an at-home rowing machine. Bloomberg reporting that a company could be valued at $1 billion or more. Um, Peloton shares were up earlier, you know, as we see these at-home plays. Uh, you know, get more interesting with the new Delta variant. So this could be good timing for Hydro to go public. And then our one deal announced this morning, we have ticker FTAA. So Pico announcing a SPAC deal valuing the company at $1.4 billion. 
Uh, Pico uses a platform of cloud data and analytics to support over 400 financial institutions. Among their 400 customers are 24 of the top 25 global banks, 36 top global exchanges, Bloomberg, and market makers like Virtue Financial and Citadel. Uh, so they are talking about growth through cross-selling items to customers with 47% currently using multiple products. They added 37 new customers in 2020 and, and also the uh, increase of spending on IT from bank and financial service customers. So revenue of $157 million in fiscal 2020. They see revenue growing at an annual growth rate of 25%. And international revenue expected to make up 39% of their yearly total, with the APAC region seeing growth of 106% from 2019 to 2021 on an annual basis. So that's what I've got for headlines. Also want to know, um, we took a look at some of our earnings plays. As I mentioned, skills earnings last night. We do have Virgin Galactic. Velodyne, LiDAR, and Fisker all reporting their quarterly earnings tomorrow. And then on Friday, we, of course, have DraftKings. So some exciting names to watch this week. What do you think, Mitch? Uh, what's standing out to you today? A lot of action, a lot of movement like we normally get. Um, right now, I'm seeing even Nikola up about 8%. I don't know what that is about, but hey, that's how it is. And you're going to get these quick moves. Um, we're going to see also SoFi can now hold 16s on pullbacks. I love that recovery back up above 1550s. We've been watching that monthly, so SoFi definitely starting to interest me. Desktop metals, I've said it. I've said it. Yes, it has been going on a downtrend, but all I see in the the kind of the investor presentation, all the partnerships that have been made, and all the even the patents that they've gotten. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward towards a, a bright future, let's say, for desktop metals. Um, so we'll definitely pay attention towards that stock. I'm also seeing uh, Velodyne up uh, a significant amount to up today. Uh, Velodyne lidar five point. Two six percent. So keep that one on watch. And of course, Rover, Rover, guys. We've been talking about this one for so long. It went up to thirteen today. Had a nice move. Um, we'll see if this one kind of continues moving. Right now, it's trading at twelve forty six. We'll see if it gets on up there past even thirteen. I think this one's going to have a, a killer, killer time once on it's on the public market. Uh, I do believe in the story. So we'll see how this one performs over time. I think now that the ticker is ROVR, I think it's going to perform a little bit better than NEBC because it just, you, you couldn't think NBC and then be like dog. No, that just didn't come into play. You, you know what ticker um, would make you think of dogs, Mitch? What? How about Bark? B-A-R-K. We do have earnings coming up for BarkBox, uh, I believe, next week. And that's the one I'm watching, you know, with Rover getting this strong momentum, a lot of people talking about the growth of the pet sector. I own shares of Bark, and I really think that they have a great quarter coming up. And Mitch, desktop metal, you know, we hit a low of 855 the other day. Uh, you know, we're, we're holding above that $9 level today. I think that's important. If we can keep that momentum, I mean, this is this is one I've said all along. It's a great long-term play. I mean, if you think 3D printing is going to be a, a sector to watch, I think desktop metal, one of the best in the sector, because let's face it, look at all the different materials they can print. And as you said, Mitch, they, they do have some patents and some intellectual property. 
I mean, now they're going to print titanium, Mitch. I mean, come on. They're printing wood, metal, you know, dental products, and now titanium. So so let's go desktop metal. There's no stopping them right now, at least uh, at least I've seen in the long term. And that's how you got to be. We got to look at these specs. But like always, guys, let's go ahead. Let's smash that like button. Let's get it on up there. Looks like we got over 300 people in here. I want to see 100 likes. So let's go ahead. Let's get it on up there. We're giving you a lot of information, not only on what's going on in the SPAC industry right now, but also specs that we look forward to in the future. So if you came to go ahead and get some trade ideas, also some long-term ideas, see great interviews you came to the right spot hit that like button and chris let's do what we do best man let's go ahead and let's get into where we unlock some specs looks like we got an interview waiting just up next come on guys we've been kicking butt here we did earlier earlier we had oca yesterday that switched uh that's gonna be switching on over so if you didn't check out that matt higgins interview yesterday on kin insurance definitely check that out guys because you know, we've we've had that big interview. Now we're going to bring you another one. Let's go ahead and let's knock it out. Let's unlock some SPACs here. All right, guys. Super excited. Another exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. So joining us on the show, we have Jim Lawson, the CEO of Adherent. That company going public via SPAC merger with MCAP Acquisition Corp. Ticker is M-A-C-Q. Jim, welcome to SPACs Attack. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris and Mitch. Nice to, nice to see you guys today. Definitely, definitely. Now, you, we're going to get into an area, guys, that you, you know that I've been really big on. I've always been about the story. Early, early 2021, I was slamming the table programmatic advertisement is the move guys pay attention to it the digital transformation is here and and that i i couldn't say it loud enough and i don't think i even said it loud enough for my own ears to hear so hey we'll, we'll see how the opportunity is chris is going to come here and knock out some questions and i'll give some of my own all right perfect so jim let's start here you know spacs attack we're about all things spacs and former spacs First question we always like to start with is why the decision to go public via SPAC and was a traditional IPO also a consideration for your company? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, for us, this this one was a pretty, pretty simple choice. Uh, we had a number of options. Um, we're not a typical SPAC target in that we have a long track record of sound financial fundamentals, but the SPAC sponsor that we're working with is a company uh, that we've worked with uh, for five years. Uh, they were essentially a lender of ours um, in the past. We know them well, Monroe Capital, they had a SPAC. Um, they've also shown that they're very, uh, very capable at executing uh, very successful SPACs uh, with uh, Repay being one of the top performers um, and Monroe is a, a partnership uh, in that. So. Uh, you know, a number of options. Again, we, you know, we lean on a really strong, sound, fundamental uh, financial profile, which I think sets us apart from a lot of the other SPACs. So I think um, in that respect, I think we, uh, you know, we stand out. But for us, it was a pretty, pretty easy choice given our relationship with Monroe. They've, they've, they've understood our, our, 
our thesis as a business, the value that we provide, our strategy, uh, the way that we believe, you mentioned programmatic being big, we believe it's going to be incredibly big. And we have a, a unique vantage point in that in that very big opportunity and that we provide something truly differentiated um, and value adding. Uh, so we're really excited about it. Traditional IPO was also an option. We uh, appreciate efficiencies and being able to get into the public marketplace uh, sooner rather than later. And, you know, we really are excited about telling our story on this bigger stage. Perfect. And then, you know, we saw a familiar name um, as part of the pipe financing on this SPAC deal. Palantir Technologies ha has been investing in many SPAC pipes lately. Uh, can you give us any background here? Is Palantir a, a partner, um, you know, or a customer with Adherent at all? Is there any possibility of the two companies working together if they are not currently? Absolutely. We're extremely excited about Palantir's investment and their belief in our long-term vision for our business. And we're equally excited in the ability to work with Palantir going forward to make our data architecture more efficient so that we can leverage the types of big data and solve the big data problems that confront digital advertisers. As a machine learning and data science driven company, it is essential that we are able to nimbly navigate extremely large data sets and to make that data valuable to our customers, both before we bid on a given ad impression, which is an extremely uh, uh, a complicated and complex process that we've operationalized within our bidders and become very, very good at, uh, but also on a post-bid basis where we can leverage extremely large data sets, provide visualizations to our customers in unique ways and at value-added ways, and just the ability to have an incredible amount of data and make it actionable is, is really game-changing. So we are not a data provider. We don't compile user profiles. We're not seeking individualized information. But the amount of data that's available in the programmatic advertising ecosystem is immense. And with our partnership with Palantir, we look forward to being more effective with using that data and making it actionable in real time for our customers. Perfect. Thanks for that color, you know, on the Palantir partnership. We, we love hearing that. I always love seeing Palantir's name uh, attached to these SPAC deals. Um, you gave us some background there uh, on, you know, what Adherent is. Can you break it down a little bit more, you know, for viewers who aren't familiar with Adherent or programmatic advertising, digital advertising, just tell us, you know, what exactly your company does and how it plays into that large ecosystem. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that there's we can very much demystify what programmatic advertising is and, and, and very simply state it. Um, at the end of the day, you know, as a programmatic digital advertising platform, what our job is at the end of the day is to connect publishers and their digital real estate with advertisers who are seeking to drive business outcomes by leveraging that media and putting ads on that media. We have reinvented and really reimagined what a DSP or a demand side platform can be and how those platforms, which again, connect all of the various digital real estate, the publisher properties that have open real estate for ads and the advertisers that are deciding, where do I place my ad? Where is the most valuable place for me to put an ad? And a lot, not a lot of folks realize who are not 
involved in programmatic advertising, that when you access digital content behind the scenes, there is a marketplace that a programmatic marketplace or an exchange that is taking place in real time, whereby advertisers are bidding for the opportunity to place an ad on a given impression. And publishers obviously benefit greatly from that ability to monetize their inventory. What we do at Ad Theorem that is different is that we've changed the way that advertisers are able to decide which of those ad opportunities is gonna be the most value adding for them. In the past, the legacy methods for doing that were things like cookie-based targeting, where you access in the bid stream, which is essentially the, the bid request that comes from the publisher saying, we have an opportunity to serve an ad, would you like to bid on it, essentially? And when a cookie is in there, a lot of uh, ad platforms leverage that cookie and they essentially just retarget that user. Another primary method that DSPs have leveraged to target ads to users has been licensing profiles and user profiles from third-party data providers. And those user profiles are essentially behavioral-based, and they're based on users and their, their individual profiles and their IDs and things that they have done in the past. And third parties aggregate that data. Maybe you rented a car and you didn't know it, but you gave somebody permission to sell your data to an advertiser. And they compile these profiles and they license them. And what they consist of is IDs that are leveraged by DSPs and other advertisers. We don't rely on those same methods to target digital ads. We ingest a very wide data set of non-personalized and non-individualized data points. They run through our bidders and our machine learning platform. And our machine learning platform in real time identifies correlations between data attributes that are present when conversion activities occur. And when we learn more about the types of data attributes that are present when conversion activities occur, we assign a predictive score to every single impression that comes through our system, over a million per second, and over 87 billion per day. And by doing that, we are able to very efficiently identify that needle in the haystack out there, that impression that is more likely than not to drive a conversion, whatever that is for our customer. It could be a credit card signup, it could be an online retail sale, whatever it is, whatever that business outcome is, we're able to leverage those statistical machine learning driven signals to decide whether to bid on that impression and how much to bid on that impression. And it's all automated in our platform. So we believe we're advanced industry. We're providing advertisers with more privacy forward method targeting ads that doesn't rely on individualized behavioral information. Perfect. And then one of the things that stands out in the investor presentation is, you know, you, you see these blue chip customers, right? I, I mean, I know you know the names, but for those watching, we have AbbVie, Capital One, Home Depot, Progressive, Sanofi, McDonald's, um, you know, AdTheorem has 280 customers that represent annual spending of 500,000 or more. And, and you've been able to add, you know, as that chart shows there, you know, more per quarter going forward. So how is AdTheorem able to, you know, land some of these huge blue chip customers and, you know, be, become a partner with them going forward? Well, I mean, for us, it's a very simple proposition. We need to show up at the advertiser's 
office or digital office with a proposal to drive their business forward on their terms. It's not about selling. There are a lot of platforms that are very effective at assisting advertisers and agencies in spending media dollars. It needs to be the, the conversation needs to be turned on its head and you really need to focus on the customer and what they're trying to do with their media dollars and then holding yourself accountable and building a business premised on that accountability, which is return on ad spend. So every one of our campaigns, we have custom machine learning models tied back to that specific customer KPI, the business goal that they're trying to drive. And when you do that consistently, campaign over campaign and year over year, you you drive a lot of loyalty. We don't like to talk about our customers publicly. When we were raising capital for our SPAC, we have uh, you know uh, information that our investors needed to see in terms of the information um, that could help them decide whether to 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 invest in our business. But for us, it's more about the value that we provide our advertisers on their terms, and then just doing that consistently, campaign after campaign. Awesome. And then, you know, I, I'm wondering if you can just talk, you know, the, the total addressable market size. So we have digital media spending expected to pass $171 billion in 2021 in the U.S. alone and, and programmatic digital spending, you know, expected to grow 17.6% annually. Where do you see, you know, digital media ad spending really going over the next five to 10 years? And, you know, why is the programmatic section of it so important? It's an extremely big and vast opportunity. The winners in this space will be those who can execute on customer KPIs. And the, the, the size of the industry is, is remarkable. I think it's, it's been reinforced or it's been, uh, the growth has been accelerated by the, the focus on digital, it was already there prior to the, to the pandemic. But I think with the pandemic, a lot of individuals have leaned into digital and a lot of the, the transactions that occur in the world, there's a lot of emphasis on online media. Online media is here to stay. Um, I think that the market is big. And I think, you know, we, we are seeing an incredible demand for the type of data-driven privacy forward advertising that, that we deliver. And in programmatic, you're able to do this in a very precise manner and in a very efficient manner. The way that we use machine learning is not just to drive our customer KPIs, but it's also to leverage our global macro machine learning models to eliminate or mitigate against fraud or impressions that are not brand safe or impressions that are not viewable sufficient to our customer standards. So we don't bid on those types or, or impressions that are not viewable, I'm sorry, that are not measurable by our customers' third-party measurement providers. We optimize away from those types of, of negative, uh, wasteful impressions, and we target and focus on the, the impressions that are really going to drive value. So I think it's an enormous opportunity. You need to bring something new and differentiated to the table, which we do. Um, our, the regulatory and the industry move in favor of our approach and how we use data and how we don't use data also compound the demand that we're doing. In the first half of the year, we grew 105%. In the first quarter alone, 34%. The second quarter, 71%. We feel really good about this year and our future 
because of the value that we provide and, and a number of uh, efficiencies our platform makes possible. Awesome. So one of the things about, you know, becoming a publicly traded company is investors want to know, you know, what's ahead? Well, what's still to come? Is there growth for this company? So in the investor presentation for Ad Therent, you know, we have a big focus on international growth and the possibility of acquisitions. Can you just provide some color on why these two items are important and what it can do for Ad Therent's financials? Absolutely. It's a great question. We're very excited to think about and talk about the growth opportunities in front of us. Um, in addition to the, the extremely exciting organic growth opportunities that we have, which is doubling down on a number of the strategies that we're executing, creating verticalized solutions for, all, for more verticals that will allow us on top of our ML capability, really drive home customer goals. Um, and a number of other uh, exciting uh, organic, low-hanging fruit, if you will, methods for growth. We believe that uh, the additional capital and resources that we will have access to as a public company will make it possible for us to expand into new markets. Our revenue is almost extremely U.S. and Canada at this point. We believe that our approach to data and our lack of reliance on individualized profile IDs makes us a really good fit for the European market. And the ability to leverage data science and statistical signals to optimize campaigns is very, very uh, privacy forward um, and, and will work well in a GDPR um, environment. Uh, the, the same goes for M&A. We believe that there are a number of opportunities for us. CTV is another area where, where we believe uh, growth is an, exceme, an extremely exciting proposition for us. The uh, you know streaming services like Hulu are the fastest growing sector in traditional uh, in, in digital as traditional TV dollars shift, close to forty five billion dollars in, in twenty one and fifty three billion dollars in two thousand twenty two. We use machine learning to make CTV advertising even more effective because we can drive performance based outcomes after the after the view. Um, with limited investment, our 21 CTV revenues are going to be around $40 million, which is about 300% growth year over year. A couple of years ago, um, in 2019, we just started out with CTV. We had like a million, million and a half. Uh, following year, uh, you know, it, it was around uh, $3 million and we're going to be, you know, much, much stronger, uh, much stronger uh, going forward. We couldn't believe, be more excited about that. And we think... Uh, through acquisition, uh, that could be a way to accelerate that offering among others. But we have a number of uh, exciting um, uh, kind of tuck-in type acquisitions that we think can allow us to accelerate um, our growth growth plans. And and with that being said, the the international plans, the acquisition, uh, we always like to ask, you know, with the presentation and the forecast for future financials. You know, is any of the, uh, you know, future merger and acquisitions, is that priced into the projections? And how do you forecast, you know, the international growth when making those projections? No, actually, thank you for asking that question. No, the forecasts that we've put out are the continuation and the continued investment in our current, uh, our current strategy. The M&A upside and the international upside represents incremental 
growth opportunity for our business. We have yet to uh, quantify that and provide any future forecasting based on that uh, strategy enhancement. We are very excited to do that. We're in the process of working on that. But no, we're not, again, like when I talk about us, I think one of the things that makes us special is that we're not coming into the public markets and asking the investor community to take a leap of faith and trust us that we're going to figure out a way to make money and that we're going to figure out a way to sell something that customers want to buy. We're doing that. We're doing that. Our products are very popular. Our growth is strong. We're going to 30% year over year, EBITDA margin, revenue as tax, and, uh, uh, and our and our revenue. And we're very excited by that. And that's based on what we're doing now. So what we're doing now works. We want to put more gas in the tank, some of these other inorganic growth strategies. And we want to invest more in what's already working, including growing our team, uh, both our tech resources and our, our product uh, and data science teams that make our differentiation and our special, our special sauce, if you will. Uh, the reason why advertisers keep keep turning to us. We don't ever take that for granted. If you're not investing for the future and you're not trying to create more differentiation, you are falling behind. We believe in that and we're going to invest in our capabilities so that we remain on the front end of digital advertising for many years to come. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here and ask some questions of my own. Um, of course, we've been seeing a massive rise in OTT and CTV in the industry. Um, I'm sure you probably can see that trend continuing. Now, one thing I did like that you definitely are mentioning here is how the consumer privacy really is coming into play and kind of moving away from an industry of that cookie watch, or I'll call it, um, and then moving into more of a targeted way and how we can really get to consumers. How do you guys achieve this? And, and do you see this trend really, is that the, the beginning and, and the, really the push forward in this industry? Well, I mean, we believe that the the cookie deprecation and some of the changes that Apple is making with respect to their operating systems requiring user opt-ins um, to leverage device IDs for targeting. We believe that when those changes are, are implemented across the advertising ecosystem, we believe that we are uniquely poised and positioned to take advantage of that. A number of companies are and they've been given more time because of the fact that the Google deprecation has been put back about a year and a half. A number of those companies are very much in a pinch. There are efforts to create a unified ID as a method of a backfill, if you will, for the cookie. And we support those efforts. We think the more individual IDs that can be, that can be leveraged or created in, in digital ad tech to the extent that they can be uh, privacy friendly, we support that. We want the internet to remain free and open. Uh, the wall gardens have a number of incentives to, to dominate advertising and dominate all aspects of the internet. We think that the open internet and the app ecosystem in which we serve ads is a, is a very, very uh, uh, vast and valuable place to reach consumers. About eMarketer, I believe, published a study that less than 15% of a uh, user's time online is spent within the social walled gardens. So we believe that as the cookie 
becomes less available and as these individualized IDs become less available, that our method, machine learning, statistics-driven ad targeting becomes even more relevant. And we can do that in a number of ways. We can do it through, for example, uh, ML-powered contextual advertising, where our models can tap into keywords, both in the URL and in the content of the page, and make sense of that content and derive learnings that are actionable from that content. When the word, you know, sports utility vehicle is included in the content three times, maybe there's a five time X conversion rate for that type of KPI. If it's an auto uh, advertiser, for example, you, you learn a lot from the data. And our ability to leverage machine learning rather than just cookie IDs and Apple IDs and Android IDs gives us a huge advantage as this industry evolves. Definitely. I think it's, it's something that we're going to keep watching. And as it evolves, definitely, like you're mentioning, with the privacy, we'll all keep watching, I'm sure. And as the generations shift, there's always the innovation. Um, let's go ahead. Let's get into uh, I would love to ask a little bit. Do, do you guys do a header build? bidding and how does that work for your company? Yeah, we do, we do header bidding. Um, probably the, probably the least effective person at explaining exactly how that works. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I wouldn't want to get ahead of myself on that. I know enough <laughs> to be dangerous when it, when it comes to talking about some of the inside baseball of programmatic and header bidding and what our techniques are, but yeah, we have, we have the most effective and talented um, tech team in the industry. Our, we've had the same CTO here who's brilliant um, since 2012, an incredibly gifted team of data scientists. Our programmatic team is constantly involved in research. And, you know, our, for example, our price optimizers in our platform, unlike a lot of DSPs where the users of the DS, of the users of the platform have to go in and spend a lot of time manually adjusting bid prices. In our platform, a lot of that is automated. And it's automated in a really exciting way that allows advertisers to first get the performance that they want, but second, to get it in the most efficient and cost-effective manner possible. That's just one example. And it's all been the result of our R&D teams for the last 10 years, trying things on and being in a constant state of research and development. Um, our platform was built in-house since 2012. We're not the product of a number of, of kind of roll-ins and acquisitions and aggregations of different disparate companies and teams. We're a unified team. We have a lot of really great, smart people who have been here for a long time. We've been privileged to win a number of workplace awards, Crane's best place to work for seven years in a row. That The awards aren't as important as the fact that we prioritize that stuff. And we really do care about making sure that our team, it's incredibly gifted team, um, you know, feels really good about where we're headed. All right, let's go ahead. Let's bring Chris back on. We got some questions from the chat. Looks like we're going to get to that. Let's go ahead, Chris. What do you want to go ahead? What did you find for us? Yeah, you know, lots of engagement here in this chat, Jim. Uh, you know, one or two questions here before we let you go. We have a question from Gore, uh, you know, asking if machine learning helps to reduce spending and increase ROIs and at the same time address cookie uh, deprecation. Is, is that correct on ad end here? 
hundred percent correct. Um, it it allows the it allows the user it allows the advertiser the standard in the campaign to get the performance at the most effective and efficient cost. So we bid on less than one tenth of of one percent of the impressions that come through our system, and that's because we have a very exacting methodology, which is tied both to performance, delivery, and margin in that order. Performance, you have to deliver the customer KPI. Delivery, you need to deliver the full budget, you need to get the campaign executed. And then lastly, efficiency and cost efficiency and the ability for the the advertiser to get that performance in the most efficient manner possible. In this ecosystem, which is very fragmented, there are a number of different engines for or or exchanges which supply inventory a lot of the inventory is being resold there are different ways that you can find efficiencies and find the original most efficient way to buy the high performing inventory it's not all about quote premium advertisers which i think is a bit of a, a dated concept it's about finding a premium user given whatever the advertiser is trying to achieve a premium user for um, a quick service restaurant might be different than a premium user for a luxury car uh, manufacturer. So it's it's about challenging some of those assumptions, moving past some moving past some of the basic premises that have always driven digital advertising and targeting, and using learn to just provide more precision and, and uh, accountability. But it's awesome. a great question. Awesome. And then one last question here from Solar Up, one of our loyal viewers. Uh, you know, I, I like this question because, uh, you know, backing up to Palantir, right? We we hear so much about Palantir all the time, but one of the biggest questions is always, what exactly does Palantir do? Um, and people have a tough time explaining that. So the question is, can he explain what Palantir is doing uh, for them uh, specifically. So uh, can you just break down the Palantir partnership a little bit more for uh, our viewers here? Yeah, in very simple terms, the reason why we're excited about the Palantir partnership is because the, the key to delivering data-driven performance is learning quickly and identifying quickly insights from data and finding relationships between data that are difficult to determine. So without getting too detailed, there are a lot of different ways that you can organize data and that data can communicate with our, our bidding platform and that data can be organized. And the only way that you can identify and give our machine learning teams uh, access to the most relevant and timely data is if we have a very organized platform for the distribution of data, the sharing of data, the processing of data, the organization of data, the visualization of data, both to our teams and to customers. So Palantir's ability to take incredibly vast data sets and allow us to make it actionable more effectively, we currently do that now. But we believe that as we scale our business, that Palantir gives us an infrastructure that will allow us to do it better. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that color there. You know, as I mentioned, and I, I've said it before too, Palantir, everyone knows the company, but not many people know exactly what it is they do and how they make money. So we appreciate the color there. 
that's going to do it for our questions. Um, so again, joining us on SPACs Attack today, Jim Lawson, CEO of AdTherent, that company going public via SPAC merger. That ticker is M-A-C-Q. Jim, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on the show today. Very much appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day, guys. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep. All right. There you guys had it. Another company coming into a growing space. So definitely something to keep on watch. You guys know how I've been about programmatic. I'm going to keep a watch on this. We have another uh, couple of companies that definitely we can watch. But I think this is an industry that's going to continue to grow as we keep moving for further and further into the digital kind of realms. Yeah, and Mitch, we've been talking about this for months, right? Where, you know, if you're a company, you want to make sure you use your advertising dollars to the best ability. So you want to make sure you're targeting people who, who may actually buy your product, right? Which is what programmatic advertising is really all about. And, and here we have another company that's going to be publicly traded, adherent, that's going to capture, you know, market share in this incredibly growing field. You know, he talked connected TV. We, we've got other areas growing as well. So Mitch, you know, I, I like the color there. Uh, you know, I also liked hearing about that Palantir partnership and how they're working together. And, and then Mitch, who could forget, you know, my, my big takeaway would be talking about those financial projections and how the mergers and the international growth is not currently priced in. Uh, you know, as we look at these SPAC deals, it's always important to kind of see, you know, how did they forecast their their revenue models and what is included in that? So for him to say, you know, that that stuff is not in there, I think uh, creates some possible upside here. Definitely. We'll keep an eye on it as we've seen the stock come up here towards the 980s. I see this nice little pop right here uh, on volume. So I'm going to be looking to see if we can clear those levels, get through the 990, 985s, and then we can be looking towards 10. Um, we'll keep on watch how this one performs. MACQ is a ticker right now. Um, and I'll have to check on what's going to be the ticker to switch on over because maybe MACQ doesn't really give us that mentality, right, um, uh, of the company. So we'll look into the ticker and see how we switch on over. But like always, guys, I mean, another exclusive here on the SPACs attack. We enjoy getting you guys these interviews, especially companies that you guys might have not heard of yesterday but now know a lot more about. So smash the like if you guys appreciate us giving light onto these companies. And let's go ahead and let's get into our watch list time, Chris. we got a, a couple minutes left, about 10 minutes left. This is when we're going to go ahead and talk about our watch list, see what's moving out there. If you guys got a stock you guys want to mention, definitely put it in the chat. And while you're at it, like I said, get get those likes up. Let's go, let's go to 300. All right. Yeah. Everyone smash that like. And and Mitch, the watch list is looking much the same as before the interview. And a lot of those names that I called out in headlines are, are, are still moving, right? We have Rover, which you called out, up 9%. We've got Fryer up 10.65%. And now FTCV and SoFi you know, both up 7% and 8%, um, you know, as hood sympathy. And, you know, Mitch, it's worth noting, if, if you pull up the hood chart, it's kind of interesting that hood was up so much, it got halted, and then it came down. I mean, this was 85, and it went down to 60. 
FTCB and SoFi did a little bit of a reverse, right? They started going up when Hood was going up, and they actually are trading higher now than they were, um, you know, when Hood came back down. So a lot of times with those sympathy trades, they follow that same path. But FTCV and SoFi are actually holding pretty strong here, um, you know, even with Robinhood coming back down. What do you think, Mitch? Yeah, very similar moves there. Um, and, and like you said, it I think it also was based off a of, uh, sympathy move there. But, uh, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, this is, those are day traders jumping on, going bull. And I think, the, you know, if let's say if you did get in yesterday and you're seeing a good 7% right off the top, I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking some gains. Uh, I think some people are definitely trying to catch that momentum, catch some sympathy. And with that being said, you got to keep these on watch for the next couple of days as Hood continues its high volatile trading as it's one of the highest traded names right now in the brokerage space. Yeah, and I mean, Robinhood was valued at $32 billion at its IPO price of $38. So now with shares over $60, I mean, we're talking, you know, $50 billion market cap. So I think, Mitch, there could be a continuation trade this week with SoFi and eToro, right, where the market cap, you know, might get adjusted based on the number of customers, the, the revenue growth. You know, as these companies are in that same basket of stocks as Robinhood, if Robinhood can be valued at $50 billion, you know, why are these two companies valued so much lower with a similar growth profile? So look for them to, to continue this week and uh, we'll see what happens as Robinhood kind of, you know, creates a trading pattern. I don't know, but I want a snack, but uh, I'm not going to talk about the stock. I just... I... It got my attention there. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's take a look here. Bark up 4%. Not a bad one. We've talked about this. We'll definitely be watching those earnings five days from now. Uh, you got Microvast up. Anything? Any news on this one, Chris? It seems so, like so, it's been trending so Microvast got Microvast got that $6 price target from Morgan Stanley. So it's actually interesting that now it's reversing today. Um, but Mitch, that, that analyst, you know, I don't want a bad mouth, but... Uh, anytime you throw out a $10 price target on Tesla, um, I don't know how serious people can take you, um, you know, going forward in your ratings. So, uh, what? you know, Tesla's what? not going to $10. Dude, <laughs> J- tell Jason, bro. Tell Jason. <laughs> I mean, if Tesla, Mitch, if Tesla goes to $10, I'll buy some shares. How about, how about that? <laughs> You and me both, brother. We'll, yeah. So, we'll, so Microvast we'll sell the house to get the house. Yeah, mortgage the house. Uh, so Microvast. I mean, it, it doesn't have a ton of new news. It it just it, it's been so beaten down that I feel like any positive day or any momentum it can get, we could see some double digit swings. Um, you know, it is a favorite of some retail traders out there as well. But you know, also as you look there, Proterra up, ChargePoint up, smell an opportunity. Yes, yeah, so, smell an opportunity. So we're seeing some of these EV names trade higher again, right? And we do have that infrastructure bill still. You know, Mitch, that infrastructure bill, it just it it, it kind of sits on the back burner, right? It was a catalyst for a while, and, and now it's kind of to the point where everyone just doesn't know if it's gonna get done, what's gonna be included. But one thing that's been included in all the drafts of it that I've seen is electric buses. And if you're talking electric buses, that's why I have shares of Proterra. I think they're going to win some contracts. Um, so what are you seeing on Proterra there? 
I'm seeing is trying to attack the lows. And if we can attack these lows, 979, I definitely would start taking a dip. So I'm going to be watching this one as we look to break 10. If we could break 10, I definitely would be starting to dip my toes. Well, these are one of those that I look for what I call dollar cost averaging. So if I'm looking to get in just slightly under 10, let's say if I did get in 990, I wouldn't add to the position probably until I would get down towards 890 and then start trying to average down my position on where I think the, the stock could get that bounce look, always measuring my risk, my total percentage, and then just taking the trade from here. I think it's interesting because you are got a lot of people. This stock is definitely an oversold territory. Um, it's going to keep pushing down and I'm going to be looking for a flip on this as we get through the $10 price point. Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, so Mitch, what did I say we had for earnings tomorrow? We've got uh, Virgin Galactic, Fisker, uh, and Velodyne. Um, anything you see on on those three heading into these earnings report? I mean, we're not going to get a ton of, uh, you know, revenue talk with Virgin Galactic, but uh, what, what do you see on the chart today? That's a scary looking chart. You know, I, it's a scary looking chart, man. I, I got to be as honest as I can. This looks as binary as it gets. You know, when you have this sideways trend going into the earnings, you can either get a huge pop. It could wake up over here tomorrow or we could wake up back down here. So um, let, let's pay attention to this one. Um, if I was getting in it today, I probably wouldn't. I, I would stay out of it. I would just be like, okay, just let it do its thing. Let me pay attention to the earnings report, see what the future looks like, and then move from there. But now if you already have gotten in and you're in the green, I kind of understand why why you'd be a little bit nervous today as the stock has essentially gone into a, a fall and then a sideways consolidation here, not really looking like it wants to get right back to those levels. Yeah, and that earnings report, you know, as I said before, I, I'm hoping that we get some talk about reservations and, and a price point per ticket. If we don't get that stuff, Mitch, I, I think we could see a, another down leg here. Um, you know, as you see on that chart, this is a event-driven stock. Um, those big spikes are related to the space flights. Um, so without a space flight coming up anytime soon, you know, can earnings and guidance be enough to, to lift shares higher? What about Fisker? FSR, they have earnings watch. tomorrow. And, and Mitch, that's another one, right, where they're not going to talk about revenue because they don't have their vehicles out yet. So is there anything you think, you know, they could say on the earnings call, the, the press release to really get momentum back into this name? Well, one of the things is, of course, they're they're looking towards get, starting to really bring out their cars towards some car conventions. So look look towards that. I think that's what you're going to hear a lot about of how they're kind of doing this this like pre-release pro promotion that they're going to be going towards, whether that be car conventions or maybe something of their own. You know, you might see some commercials maybe start coming flying by. Um, and I, I got to be honest. When I think about all the ones that I think could eventually get it right, for some reason, Fisker stands out to me. Um, I think they're doing the right thing and, and not trying to manufacture their own vehicles here. Uh, partnering up with Magna, I think that's going to definitely help them. Uh, you guys, I, I just feel like it's 
most people don't understand how stressful it is to come out with a new product, especially a new car product. Um, it's very hard. It's not like it's easy. And I think that's why you're finding some of these companies running into trouble. Like, let's say uh, we had Nicola, we had Ride. Um, and, and what does that do? Why does that come? Because of the pressure to succeed on a very, very complicated task, really. Yeah, Mitch, great, great point. I love that. That, that's why I like Fisker too, right? I think they're going to be able to get this car to market much quicker than if they had tried to do everything themselves. I mean, a company like Tesla, right? They've been able to do vertical integration, you know, make everything in-house and that's great. It's worked for them. But many other companies have failed, right? It's It's got high costs too. And as a company that just went public, you don't want to keep doing share offerings and and raising more money, right? Because then you're going to see investors bail. So Fisker is able to take that money from the SPAC deal, partner with Magna, partner with Foxconn for the next car. So they already have two models, right? That are in partnership that, you know, and one's going to come out next year. One's going to come out a couple of years after that, but they already have partnerships to make those. They also secured chips, right? We hear about the chip shortage. By partnering with Magna, Fisker was able to alleviate some of that stress on the supply chain because Magna is a well-known brand that is able to secure those chips. So Fisker, on the other hand, if they would have done it themselves, might have been more delays. So Mitch, I I, I like that call out there and and I am long Fisker. I'm looking forward to that earnings report tomorrow. Um, I hope we get more color on, you know, reservations and that timeline. Um, But, you know, some big earnings over the next couple of days. It it looks like we're nearing the end of the show. Uh, Public service announcement. I will actually be doing another show today. Three o'clock for anyone interested in NFTs. If you we get about, more Chris, you get more Chris. You get Chris in a whole new light. I'm not going to be talking stocks. I'm going to be talking NFTs. And if you don't know what NFTs are, they're digital assets. We hear about crypto punks. We hear about NBA Top Shot. You've seen Mitch and I talk about Top Shot. We've talked about tops, right? With the mud spec. We're going to be doing an interview today with the Vogu Collective, which is one of the uh, biggest. NFT drops in recent history. We're going to be hearing from the CEO of that company uh, and get the behind the scenes, right, on what goes into one of these large NFT drops. So there you have it. Look at those pictures there. Uh, Three o'clock Eastern today. Um, So if you're interested in NFTs, uh, feel free to uh, join along. You guys go check out Chrisopedia. Don't miss out, guys. It's not a question if you're going to be there. I say You'll be there. I will see you there. I'll be there in the chat. I know Chris will be rocking it out, guys. Let's go ahead and support our man, Chrisopedia. Show up, guys, 3 p.m. Eastern. We're, we're Let's let's go smash that. I, I want to see some SPACs attacks thrown in there randomly. For real, for real. Let and Mitch, we're at 90, we're at 97 likes. Before we end the stream, can we please get to 100 likes? If you have not smashed that like, Please smash the like on your way out. We had a great show, a great interview, some trading ideas. You know, Mitch gave you guys Rover. I gave you guys eToro and SoFi not too long ago. Those stocks are up today, right? So, you know, smash that like, share the love, share the stream, and we'll see you next time on Spax Attack. Like always, guys, we'll keep bringing the heat, keep bringing the heat like we always do. 
let us know in the comments who you're going to see next. Oh, 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 oh,